Hi there, my name's Dan, and I'm one of the pastors here at HTBB, and it's so good to be with you. Today is the last of our design series. We've seen how we are designed in his image. We've seen how we are designed to love, and today we're going to look at the truth that we are designed for a purpose, the wonderful truth that you are not an accident, you are not a mistake, and that God has a purpose, a good and expansive purpose for your life. Now, understanding God's purpose for your life is the most important thing we can learn. Why? Because your purpose, what God has called you to do, shapes everything else. You can think of it a bit like this. As a, a disciple of Jesus, as a leader within his church, there are lots of ways that you could seek to grow, to deepen your character, to expand your competency, to, to understand better your chemistry with others. But your calling is the most important thing because your calling never changes. Whilst all these other things wax and wane, your calling, the call of God on you that never changes is that he calls you to be with Jesus. Now, that can sometimes seem a little anticlimactic. Jesus wants to be with you, maybe a little unremarkable, but I think in recent times, we've been given a fresh window into understanding how amazing this is. You know how, well, apart from the extreme introverts, isolation has been pretty tough on most people. So for many people, when I speak to them, they are longing for things to change so that we can be with others. We can touch each other. We can like, talk without having to cover our faces, like, to, to hang out without hindrance. You know, Zoom is amazing. FaceTime is, is such a gift. It's been a lifesaver in keeping touch with my parents, but I'd give it all up for a hug. That's what the Lord wants from you. That longing we have to be with others, to be in their presence, that's the longing that God has to be with you, to be in your presence and to have you enjoy his presence. He calls you today to be with him. That is his purpose for your life, that you would be with him. And the amazing thing about knowing that calling and understanding the shape of your specific calling is that it helps hold every other aspect of your life in the right place. In a world shouting for your attention, it allows you to know who to listen to. In a world full of seemingly limitless possibilities, it allows you to know what to give yourself to. And in a world that is uncertain, knowing God's call on your life brings a peace that cuts through everything else. Our reading for today is Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And it's often titled, Jesus Calls His First Disciples. Let's read it together. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their nets up onto the shore, left everything and followed him. Amen. When it comes to calling, it can be helpful to think about it on two different levels, what's often called the general call and then the specific call. Our friend Pete Winter, who spoke here a while back, said you could think of it in terms of like trying to climb Mount Everest. This is a, a picture he calls the calling mountain. When someone climbs to the top of Mount Everest, they don't just climb straight up. First of all, they make the very long trek to Everest Base Camp and they stop there acclimatize, and then from base camp, they make an attempt on the summit. Now, one of the challenges of our days is that when it comes to the mountain climbs of our life, we tend to celebrate the summit climbs, but not so much the base camp treks. This is, you know, the graduate who thinks they should be CEO, but hasn't yet worked out how to turn up on time. Like, the, the trek to base camp, that's hard work. It's a feat in and of itself. Ling Ya, who's one of our Connect Group leaders, attempted it with a group earlier this year. It was a, a nine-day journey. One of their group had to be rescued, having succumbed to hypothermia, but they made it in the end. Now for us, the general call on your life, that's like Everest Base Camp. You get there, you live there, you acclimatize, and then from there, the specific call on your life is like the summit attempt. So what's the general call on your life? What's base camp? Well, as Miles said last week, Jesus sums up the entire law like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. In other words, be with Jesus and do what he's doing. That's the general call on your life and it never changes. Be with him and do what he's doing. It's, it's even what we'll be doing in heaven. Do you know what? If at the end of each day, all that's happened is that you've learned to love God a little better and found a way to love your neighbor a little more, that day was a success. You know, so often the specific call is what gets people's attention and what people worry about. But, but to be honest, focusing on the general call, that's the main thing. That's base camp. But from base camp, Jesus then leads us into the specific call he has on our lives, the, the U-shaped call that he has for your life. We even see it, Jesus doing this himself in today's reading. He's, he's going about his day and, and the crowds are pressing in. They hadn't got the social distancing memo. Uh, and so we read, he got into one of the boats, does some social distancing, and uh, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sits down and taught the people from the boat. He's just out and about fulfilling the general call, loving God and serving people. But then Jesus also has this specific call on his life, part of which is to raise up a team who are going to lead his church. So the crowd having pressed into him, Jesus then leaves them and presses in to Simon. 
And having got into his boat, he speaks to Simon about the specific call on Simon's life. We read, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And in these words, we see some helpful principles that can help us work out what Jesus' specific call is for you, what his specific call is for our lives and what his purpose is for you. The first thing we learn about the specific call on our life is that Jesus calls you as you are. He calls you as you are. That, That verse that captures so much of this story opens with this. Jesus said to Simon, All the way through this passage, Jesus is speaking to Simon. Now, I'm sure you know, later on, Jesus renames Simon. He he renames him Peter. That's what good friends do, right? They come up with nicknames for each other. And in renaming Simon to Peter, he's saying, this is who you really are. This is who you're becoming. You're Peter, Petros. The name means rock because Jesus is going to build something big on Peter, something that's going to last. But he doesn't call Peter. He calls Simon. He doesn't call Peter, the great church planter, man of conviction, leader of the greatest movement the world has ever seen. He calls Simon. So often we think that, yeah, sure, God would use those people. They're so remarkable, but I would need to change before God would call me. But that's not true. But he doesn't even call Simon the fairly successful fisherman, owner of boats, like employer of a few people. He just calls Simon. Jesus calls the today you, not the future you. He calls the today you. He calls you as you are. There's this joke about a guy who's uh, he's lost driving in the countryside. And eventually he sees this farmer leaning up against the gate. And so he pulls over, goes up to the farmer and asks for direction. And the farmer, hearing where he wants to get to, looks at him and shakes his head and says, Oh, if I were going there, I wouldn't start from here. But that's the only place that any of us can start from. And it's the only place that Jesus ever starts from. Jesus loves the now you, not just the future you. He loves the now you. And he calls the now you, not the future you. And he calls the now you because there isn't any other you to call. But also, it's because he likes you. Jesus likes you. He designed you. He gave himself on the cross for you. The the writer in this passage even links this moment of calling to the cross. The word used for the crowd pressing in is only used one other place in Luke's gospel, and it's used to describe when the crowd press for Jesus to be crucified. He loves you, he likes you, and he died for you. And that means that when it comes to working out what God has called us to, our own passions And the things that bring us joy, those come into the equation. God calls us along the lines of what we are passionate about. Now, because it involves passion, it may not necessarily be what you are paid to do. Many people have a job and and their specific calling is something outside of that. And that's fine. Remember that the most important callings in life, that of friendship and family, those are unpaid. Well, unless I've missed that payslip. But your passions are important because God is telling a story in your life and he was at work in your life before you were even born. And so the things that bring you joy, your passions are given to you to help you sustain your specific calling. Now, 
obviously, we have to caveat that with the fact that the world is not as it should be, and we are not as we should be, and that means sometimes our, our passions get misdirected. We don't always know ourselves, but because he's calling you, the Holy Spirit helps you to know yourself. This is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit does this. He shows us the end from the beginning. So the enemy, the devil, never wants us to see the end from the beginning because no one's ever tempted with the temptation to become an addict or to ruin their relationships or scupper their career. The temptation is always, well, just take a little, just try this little thing, which ends up being the first step on a path to those places. To counter this, the Holy Spirit shows us the end from the beginning. I think this is partly what's going on with the ridiculously large haul of fish. Peter seems to be this fairly successful businessman. He owns his own boat, which is why at the end, the writer makes the point of saying, so they pull their boats onto the shore and they leave everything and follow him. There's a cost to following Jesus. But in this moment, Jesus shows Peter the end from the beginning. He says, okay, you want to be successful in fishing? Here you go. Bam! So much abundance that the nets begin to break. So much abundance that the boat begins to sink. There you go. In this moment, Peter peaks. He experiences what it would be like to reach the top of the current ladder. And I think Jesus is asking him, is this enough? Satisfied? I love this painting of the scene by Henry Tanner. And in it, as the fishermen catch this haul, the fishermen are small. They're dwarfed by their success. Often when we win, it's with the small things and the triumph itself makes us small. You, you know that feeling where you, you work really hard to get something and then you get it and you leave feeling really hollow. I remember really vividly uh, when as a kid, I spent a whole day trying to complete Super Smash Brothers on the Nintendo GameCube child of the 90s. Uh, and then uh, at the end of the day, I realized all I'd done with my life was move a load of ones and zeros around a memory card. You know, that, that kind of hollow feeling. Like if you're going to count the cost, make sure the cost counts. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me the end from the beginning. Is this a passion you put in me? And if not, show me what my true passions are. This might seem a bit selfish, but, but look through the stories of Jesus' life. He's always asking people, what do you want? What do you want? It's not selfish because he's put it in you to help you do what he's calling you to do. What makes you tick? What, when you do it, makes time fly? Ask the Lord if you don't know, because we are called along the lines of what we are passionate about. So Jesus calls us as we are. But the second thing, the second principle we see about our specific call on our life is that Jesus calls us from where we are. He says to Simon, let down your nets. One of the things you'll notice about this passage is that Jesus turns up at Simon's workplace. He calls him from where he already is. He calls him along the lines of what he's already doing. Peter is a fisherman. And first thing he says is do some more fishing. And then he says, you're going to do something along the lines of this in a different way. You're going to become a fisher of men. In other words, Jesus tends to call people along the lines of their strengths and their competency. We see it all through the Bible. Deborah is a leader. She led. Isaiah is a prophet. He prophesied. Paul is a teacher. He taught. Jesus was the Messiah. He messiahed. No, that doesn't quite work. But you get my point. Because God knows you and created you, he tends to call you along the lines of that which he's already been trying to train you in. 
we find that our calling is not just along the lines of our passions, but along the lines of our strengths as well. In fact, you could draw it like this, that your specific calling is nearly always where our strengths and our passions collide. So for example, you might be really good with numbers. It's a strength, but you're not really that passionate about it. Therefore, it's unlikely that Jesus is specifically calling you to be a maths tutor. Or you might be really passionate about, say, badminton, but you're not actually that good at it. Therefore, it's unlikely Jesus is specifically calling you to represent your nation at the next Olympics. Sorry to break that to you. But where your strength and your passions collide, that is the sweet spot. And often what Jesus has been preparing for you to do is right there. Now, the good news about this is it means that it's all about obedience. Jesus never asks us to do anything that we're unable to do. He says, you do what you can do and trust me to do what only I can do. Let down your nets. I'll deal with the miraculous catch of fish. He says, you do the work, I'll be in charge of the results. You do the forgiving, I'll do the healing. You do the praying, I will do the transformation. Now, the challenge of obedience is that without obedience, we miss out on many of his blessings. This whole story is teaching us this truth. Look, look grace we just receive. We don't do anything to receive grace. In this story, Jesus just gets into Peter's boat, uninvited. He's like, hi, I'm in your boat. That's grace. Jesus just comes to us. He gets involved in our lives. But the blessings he has for us are accessed by obedience. Jesus says, put down your nets here. Putting the nets down doesn't cause the fish to be there. Obedience doesn't cause blessing, but it's the means by which we receive those blessings. He says, here's fish. There's a blessing here. If you want it, let down your nets. Anytime Jesus is asking you to be obedient, it's because he's trying to bless you. When he says, guard sexual intimacy until you're married, he's, he's trying to bless you. When he says, be generous with your money, he's trying to bless you. When he says, read my word, he's trying to bless you. That's the good news of obedience. And you know what? It's not just a little bit of blessing. It's an abundance. Our first talk as a church was on the 21st of September, 2014. And Miles spoke on this passage. And we looked at this next verse, the one on from what we're focusing on today. And Miles said to us that we see in that verse that Jesus uses our no fish moments to lead us into because you say so obedience, which results in boat sinking abundance. Like go and listen to that talk. It's on the website. Brilliant. And we've seen God do that through the past six years, that God has been using your obedience to bring boat sinking abundance here at HDBB and also through the Alpha Hub out into the wider region. See, that's the great thing. Uh, I said we mostly receive blessing by our, by our obedience, but you know what? There's always sort of overflow because what comes to you never stops with you. Simon obeys, but all those fish they get left on the shore when he leaves. Like everyone else got blessed through Simon's obedience. Well, perhaps except the other fishermen, as I imagine the market price of fish dropped drastically for the next week or so. But outside of them, everyone else is happy. Others get blessed by our obedience and offering our strengths and our competencies to him. But lastly, one of the most amazing things about obedience is it releases us from one of the, the most harmful burdens we're tempted to carry, which is the burden of success. Look, Jesus doesn't call us to be successful. 
He calls us to be obedient and trust him that he can turn that obedience into fruitfulness. He's not looking for successful people. He's looking for obedient people that he can make fruitful. He says, let down your nets. And finally, the third principle is this. Yeah, our specific calling is found where our strengths and our passions collide. But obviously, with Jesus, it's never quite that boring. I mean, he intentionally leads them out into deep water and then sinks their boat. There's always an adventure with Jesus. And so there is this third element. Yet Jesus calls us as we are, from where we are, but he calls us to be where he is which means that yes, your calling is where your strengths and your passions collide, but then you have to draw a big circle around that that basically says curveball or expect the unexpected. See, yeah, Jesus will call you along the lines of your competencies, but he will always call you beyond your competency because he's calling you into a life of faith, a life where we have to learn to trust him. This is why Jesus says, Simon, put out into deep water. For Kate and I, this is what coming to Malaysia was for us, a collision of strengths and passions with a massive curveball. It was a passion. We are passionate about the local church and we love Mars and Sarah. And it was a strength. I'd just been trained and ordained as an Anglican priest. So when Mars and Sarah said, did we want to come plant a church with them? It made sense. It was an Anglican church plant under great leaders but was on the other side of the planet. We, we didn't see that bit coming. That was the curveball. We thought we were called to the northwest of England, and instead we got called to Southeast Asia. Uh, we thought we were called to Manchester. The Lord wanted us in Malaysia. Well, we got the first two letters right. Now, to bring about these curveballs, Jesus often seems to engineer these kind of moments. And in these moments, he's trying to produce a change. Now, I don't think we have to try and make these changes, like engineer them ourselves, but Jesus is just asking us to be open to them when they come to us. The first change is a change in position. Jesus says, put out into deep water. Why? Well, it's not because he likes to watch us tread water. It's because he wants to give us space to grow. The word for deep water is bathos, and it gets used only a few other times. Once is in the parable of the sower. Jesus describes faith that lasts as like a plant that has a deep, a bathos root. To have a deep root, he has to move us into a deep place. And that's uncomfortable, but it's the only place that we're going to grow and discover another use of that word, which is how deep God's love is for us. He takes us to deep water because he wants us to grow and fill that space. He takes us out of our comfort zones because we rarely ever grow from what we already know. And, and do you know what? Most of life at the moment is deep water living. Like this is deep water living. Even when it doesn't look it, you know, go easy on yourself, have some mercy for yourself. Uh, but know most of all, he is with you at this time. This is deep water living and he, he's with you. Right? We want to be in deep water, not because we want to punish ourselves or, uh, or make life hard for ourselves, but because we want to be with him. Because where the kingdom of death meets the kingdom of life, that's where you can know he is present and wants us to be with him, praying your kingdom come. He says, come be with me, change your position. The second way Jesus engineers this curveball is to change our expectations. He doesn't just say, let down your nets, but let down your nets for a catch. They've fished all night. And he says, look, we're going to go again. 
and I want you to be expectant, which if we're honest, Simon isn't. This is what he says, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing, but because you, the carpenter, say so, I, the fisherman, will let down my nets. It's because you say so. It's like the smallest faith, mustard seed levels of expectation. But even that Jesus can work with and the nets begin to break and the boats begin to sink. Look, your, your past emptiness is not the best predictor of your future fruitfulness once the immeasurable one steps into your circumstances. Jesus is in your boat. He wants them and he wants us to be expectant not because of their strengths and their passions, because, I mean, those are at all-time low, right? This is low-end passion, more like borderline sulking. And this is not strength. They fished all night. And remember, never at any point in any gospel do any disciples catch any fish without the help of Jesus. But once we offer what passion we have and what strengths we have, the result is often so much abundance that our systems for managing collapse. These guys had no frame of reference for this new abundance. They had no pattern of behavior for this level of favor. They had no imagination for this scale of intervention. They had no architecture for God's good future. And they start to sink under the weight of his glory. Like how wonderful would it be if the problem of the next season was not lack, but how to cope with the abundance of God's good provision received through our obedience? What if there was an abundance of people in this city so hungry for hope, so hungry for love, so hungry for an encounter with Jesus, so many that the, the, the way the churches in KL worked, we had to rethink to, to meet the need. What if that's what he does? He engineers a change in expectation. And the last way Jesus engineers this curveball is he changes our focus. He says that I'll take what you've been doing and I'm going to transform it. Same, same, but different. Uh, I think of Michael Emmett. Michael was a career criminal until he was caught attempting to smuggle four and a half tons of cannabis into the UK, the largest uh, smuggling operation ever seen. And he was caught uh, and went to prison. And there on Alpha, he came to faith in Jesus. And then during his sentence, he was moved to different prisons and he took Alpha to each one. And that's actually how Alpha first started in all of the prisons. Then he was released and now he runs a flower business, but a different kind of flower business, a garden center. He went from smuggling plants to cultivating them. Same, same, but different. Jesus changes our focus. And I think he tends to do it bit by bit. He starts by saying, do what you did, but in a slightly different way. Simon, I want you to fish, but I want you to fish with my timing. And it ends up with him saying, do what you did, but with a new focus. We read, then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And this is possibly the biggest curveball of all, that whilst he calls you, ultimately it's not about you. But paradoxically, this is where you find what you were looking for in the first place. As we give our lives for others, he gives it back to us more abundantly than we had it in the first place. Simon is this guy who really struggles with pride, the need to be top dog. Like he's always got the bravado. It's a, a consistent theme throughout his story. And look what Jesus does for him. Like imagine for a moment, you're just on the shoreline watching all this happen. You're not privy to the conversation between Simon and Jesus. All the other boats have given up. They've caught nothing. And then Simon goes out and jackpot, bonanza to those watching from the shore, 
Simon is a genius, the greatest fisherman to ever have fished. Wow, and in broad daylight, what a guy. Jesus elevates his standing in the eyes of his community. And here again, I think Jesus is lifting off the pressure of another lie. He's dismantling the lie that the answer to the good life is more, that everything will be okay if I just have more, more resource, more friends, more connection, content, visibility, time, popularity. And Jesus comes and he gives them more and everything is very much not okay. And whilst those on the shore think Peter is a hero, Peter knows what's really going on. And he falls to his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Right? This is why it's not good to base your sense of calling on your feelings. Because whenever people encounter the call of God in the Bible, the reaction is never, gosh, well, you've taken your time. I've been sitting around waiting, wondering when you'd ask me. No, the reaction is always, no way, not me. You got the wrong person followed by a list of the reasons why I'm disqualified. At first, Peter denies with his mouth what he wants with his heart. He hasn't yet understood the level of curveball that Jesus is going to bring. He's not yet open to changing the perception of who he is becoming and will become with Jesus as his leader. Do you realize who you are going to become as Jesus transforms your life? But you know what? Even in these moments where it looks like we're being humbled, Jesus is at work to lift us up and to honor us. The writer here mirrors Simon's reaction with that of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter six, we read, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. I saw the Lord's abundance, in other words. And Isaiah's reaction, woe to me, I am ruined. And the Lord's response, go. Wow, woe, go. And it's the same with Peter. Here, the writer is comparing this ordinary, humble man with one of the greatest prophets uh, of the Jewish people. It's like comparing Gillingham Football Club with Liverpool just this year. though. He calls you as you are, from where you are, to be where he is. And that call is never limiting. It is always expansive. And God's good purpose for your life is always greater than anything you could have imagined for yourself which is why he says, Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Amen. Why don't we pray? Wherever you are now, why don't you uh, stand? And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. So let's stand together and pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love what you do and the way that you do it. And I ask that you would come and fill every person watching this now. Come and fill them afresh. Holy Spirit, we wait on you.